Welcome back to the second season of the Sit With Snip podcast. This season is focused explicitly on sitting with singlehood, how to live a meaningful life while still searching for your life partner. And I'm your host, Hannah Snikowski. We process ideas and topics by engaging in thought-provoking conversations with different speakers. For our seventh episode, a dear mentor, soul sister, friend of mine, a woman who I wouldn't be sitting here with right now on this platform talking to all of you if I hadn't met six years ago. I have so much love, admiration, and gratitude for this woman and our next guest, Ayelet Polanski. You'll hear me speaking with Ayelet very candidly and quite easily about the past and very much how I've changed since then. To be specific, how I really couldn't even sit through a meditation that she would lead. And now we're sitting on my podcast that is called Sit With Snip. The irony is not lost on us, my friends. Hashem has an amazing sense of humor, and the plot twists keep coming. Initially, Ayelet and I wanted to speak about manifestation, particularly surrounding how to manifest one's life partner, soulmate, you name it. But this episode turned into more of a prerequisite, discussing the work that you have to do before you're ready to manifest. I like to think of it as the analogy of before you garden, you have to clean up the weeds and make sure the soil is ready for magic to happen. So, do you want to break free from the blockages preventing you from manifesting your desired life? Without further ado, here's the first of future conversations with my manifestation partner, Ayala Polanski. As always, feel free to reach out and DM us on Instagram and show your love by liking this episode and sharing it with a friend. Never forget, it's all lessons and blessings. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Sit With Snid podcast. I'm your host, Hannah Snikowski. And I'd like to say that officially this morning in Miami time zone, we are sitting with Israel time zone. And I I, I mean, I'm going to like gush and blush. I mean, if you're watching the video, you're going to see this. We're sitting with um, a mentor, a friend, a soul sister, a woman who I, we wouldn't be sitting here right now on this platform if I hadn't met her. And I, I have so much gratitude and like Hakara Tatov to Hashem just for this moment and for this experience. So I'm, I'm really excited to welcome you, Ayala Polonsky, um, to the Sit With Sit podcast. You're going to make me cry and we haven't even gotten to like the juice. <laughs> You know, I'm, we're welcoming all the emotions, all the feels. This is this is where we can have those those moments because, oh my gosh, I feel like sometimes the world makes us feel like we can't we can't sit with what we're actually feeling. Well, it's like it's a patterned condition, right? To like mm-hmm. suppress pain, run from pain, and it's something that we've been taught. Right. It's like it's 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 in the marketing that we're exposed to. It's like, oh, you're going through something. No problem. Get the new iPhone and you'll feel better. No problem. Get the let's new. Let's, let's put a label on it. Let's, you know, um, categorize X, Y, Z to it. It's it's so conditioned, as you said, into society, into our brains. And we don't realize, wait, there's an alternative. And I think that's yeah. the perfect the perfect segue into what we're going to be speaking about um, on the show today. And 
I invite all of you to listen, um, to truly just like take a moment to be present in your body. I think that's one of the first things Ayala, you've always taught me. Um, Ayala and I have a very special relationship. I, I met her at such a pinnacle moment in my life. And I, I think I can safely say yours as well. Um, five years ago when I was in Israel and just really journeying into my own um, Jewish identity and kind of like my own womanhood. And when I met Ayala, it was just like at the brink of your single journey and finally meeting your soulmate and just, I think, like really starting and making root in your life in Israel. And that was one of the first lessons that you taught me. We did yoga together. I was never a meditator before I met Ayala. I could not sit still. Um, it was very difficult for me to be present in my body and not have the voice of judgment, um, the voice of criticism, and just all the external voices that we often are so tuned into that we think it's like our subcon like subconscious mind. And I just invite all of us to take like a deep breath, honestly, and just be present because what we're going to be talking about we need to tap into an expansive consciousness. We need to open our hearts, um, perhaps to things that maybe we're resistant to. And I think that is so much a part of the practice and it's like a toolkit. Um, so these are tools, hopefully you've seen them before, if not welcome them, because this is going to be one of those conversations. I feel like in a matter of 60 seconds, you just took me through a somatic experiencing. <laughs> Guys, <laughs> like when did, when did the student become the master? It's like, I love how you said when I met Ayala, I couldn't sit still. And now you are running a podcast called Sit With Snit. Oh, it's so ironic. The, the, the irony is not lost. Hashem's sense of humor is like... Like you think you're funny and then you're like, oh, I'm out. Like I just. Wow. But that also just like opens up this whole idea around welcoming beginnings mm. and welcoming beginnings because Hannah, would you have known? I think we met six years ago, not five. Let's give ourselves that extra year of credit. It was six yeah. years ago, you know, and, and it was such a new beginning for you as like a fresh Baltuva. Truly. No, yeah. Like who would have known where you would have ended up six years later? You couldn't have. And I'm sure, well, I know, and I think you give me permission to share this because it's, it's, I know you're open about this. Like there were scary times six years ago in that unknown for you, for me, you know, it was like the unknown stepping into that space where it's like the Baal Shem Tov gives a mashal, uh, a metaphor where he says, life is like walking alone through a dark, dark forest. And you have no idea where you're going. But all of a sudden, in a moment, God sends a flash of lightning. And that flash makes everything visible, but just for a moment. So you get these moments of clarity that are meant to lead you or guide you in the right direction. But ultimately the inner work is surrender because so much of life is about embracing the unknown, which takes me back to your initial point, which is also embracing pain. Oh, Yeah. Not even just, not even just embracing pain, but realizing that like we are created to 
overcome it, endure it, take that pain and transform it to light. And we're conditioning that muscle the rest of our lives. Please God, like that's the work, right? But how many of us can really say that we're walking through life conscious of that task and willing, right? Being a willing participant as um, I, I feel like Ayla has a glossary of words that like if you speak to her or if you're um, connected to her wisdom, you kind of know. So are you being a co-creator with Hashem in this or are you being passive? Um, so before we get any further, because I can just like jump in and not do a prelude, but for those of you who have not had the privilege of knowing Ayelet personally, being acquainted with perhaps her story and the wisdom that she's bringing forth from her experiences, um, I want to give you the floor to kind of talk about wh wh why we're sitting with the idea of manifestation. I know that now, like everyone and their mother is claiming that they're a manifester, they can manifest, you should manifest this. And, you know, when I think things are trending, people are a little skeptical. Um, but I want to first and foremost, like, go on the record. We can quote me. I've definitely been quoted for this. It's real. It's real. It's not a hoax. And it's actually something that's very much a part of our Jewish tradition and practice. Perhaps it might be labeled differently. But I'm going to let Ayelet um, kind of explain where this comes from, um, a little bit about her journey on how she got to this place. And I, I also want to just first make this statement so it's kind of resonating while you're hearing this, how she manifested her husband within a year. Yes, a year. And I had the front row seat and the pleasure of watching that happen. And not only with Ayala, but with people she's also taught and helped, um, I think, surrender within their own lives. And again, I had front row seats for it. I'm a testimony to it. Hashem is my witness. And this is this is real stuff. If you allow yourself and then, like I said, open your heart to it, Hashem wants to create the reality that you want to create. It's a possibility. Am I right? Like it's real. So it's, I, let's, I, I yeah. let's 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 talk about it. Like yeah. So thank you. Thank you. It's not even a possibility. It's like, if you're really tapped in, it's a probability, mm. you know, because anything is possible. And whether you think you can or think you can't, you're right. And this morning, like you, you caught me on this podcast at such a beautiful, tender place. I find mm. that when I'm feeling raw and vulnerable, I'm like cracked open and I'm I just put everything on the table, like the good, the bad, the ugly, you know, and, and like, thank you for that. I just want to like, yeah, like there's, there's, there's so much that I am constantly working through myself. I don't even like the word work. My mentor, when I, when I met with my mentor and he was just like, I yell at you, keep using this word, avoda. Oh, I recognize my avoda, my work, my next level of work, what I need to work on. And he's like, you take life too seriously. He's like, you're always working. <laughs> He's I like, like, can you, though. yeah, I loved it. He's like, can you play? Can you be lighter with this inner journey that you're, you're traversing? Um, and so this morning I was on my yoga mat and all of a sudden tears just started streaming down my face and I just felt so much pain. I felt so much pain. And I was like, what is going on? Why am I feeling this? And I traced the pain back to the thought the thinking. 
right? Because emotion follows thought. And oftentimes if we're honest with ourselves and transparent with ourselves, we can trace most emotions back to a single thought or an idea or a belief. And I'm on my mat and the pain stems from this, this part of me that was latching on to recognizing what I'm not, Mm. what I'm not. I was hyper-focusing while I was in flow, all the things that I want to be that I'm not yet, all the things that I want my husband and I to be that we're not yet, right? And thank God I have so much to be grateful for. And thank God I have so much that I already am. And my husband and I have so much that we already are in our development. But I have this strong pusher part, this perfectionist part that like thinks Everything needs to happen. The growth, the transformation, it needs to happen and it needs to happen yesterday. Otherwise, there's something wrong. Mm -hmm. Whoa. And I just started crying because I realized how when I'm not conscious of my thinking, my thinking is going to those dark places, to those painful places of what's not. And so what's happening as a result, I'm manifesting more of what I don't want. Because Mm -hmm. where your thoughts go, energy flows. And so in an instant, I started reframing my thinking and I shifted into focusing my attention on everything that I am and everything Mm -hmm. that my husband and I are already. And there's so much juiciness to that and so much goodness and so much to be grateful for. And instantly my energy body shifted from pain to pleasure to gratitude. I shifted my frequency simply by tracing my emotions back to my thoughts. And you see it physically and you see it in your body. There's an incredible book called The Body Keeps the Score. Have you read it or heard of it? Have I read it? Have I sat with it? Have we cried with it? (laughs) Yeah. Everyone who's listening, I, I... I, I don't, it's not a cautionary tale, but I think if you're ready to go on a journey, um, it, it'll unlock a lot for, for every person. Yeah. Yeah. And simply put, the idea is that our body holds so much information. We tend to think that by processing and analyzing that we're going to get to some conclusion. Like I hear from so many of my clients when they're dating a guy, And they're like, do I marry him? Do I not? You know, I I need time to process. But Mm -hmm. how are you actually processing? Most people are just going about their day, telling themselves I'm processing without actually going in and recognizing that real process. It requires some thought for sure, but the body keeps the score. The body stores so much information and stores so much trauma from childhood experiences. And all of that is there to teach us which direction our compass is meant to go in next. And so again, like back to manifestation, right? Where your thoughts go, energy flows. So if I'm thinking thoughts of lack, what what I'm not versus thoughts of what I am, it's like we are creating in, we are manifesting in every moment with our thoughts. I'm not grass. I mean, yes, every... (laughs) still early for me. Every blade of grass is being manifested at this moment. It's being willed to be created. Pretty yeah. sure that's the Baal Shem Tov. Correct. Because there's an angel basically telling every blade of grass, grow, grow, grow. And so all of these 
I don't know, billions, trillions of angels are constantly doing their task. And here's the thing from a Kabbalah perspective, right? We're taught that every thought we think creates a new angel. Mm-hmm. So if I'm thinking thoughts of lack, I'm creating all every thought that says, I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. Will I ever get married? What if I never get married? What if I'm single forever? Oh my gosh. Then we start to fast forward into our future where we see ourselves alone. And that's when we start to visualize. Mm-hmm. And it's when we visualize that we create even stronger angels. And then all of a sudden, what are we doing? We're creating a tribe of angels around us that is, they're actually sending information up to the higher realms. And that information is being encoded into our spiritual DNA in order for it to manifest back into our physical reality as the reality we see and experience. I just saw that so visually. Like that was literally, it's a pipeline. It's a pipeline. It's a pipeline. And the pipeline is always open. That channel, that sino in Hebrew, that channel is always open. The question is, are we in alignment with that channel or are we out of alignment with that channel? Mm. How do we get into alignment with that channel? By recognizing and coming to a place where we can really believe and know that God wants what's good for us. Mm. Now, how do we get God to that? Because... Mm. We have so many blockages. And I, I mean, I know from, you know, personal experience working with you, a lot of that is, again, kind of unlearning certain relationships that we have or different ideas and identities that we have about ourselves, stripping that from our core and getting to our true essence and understanding who Hashem is to us, how Hashem sees us, right? I think that Unfortunately, so many relationships nowadays are conditional. What can this person give me? What can they offer me? There's so much transaction. And when it comes to Hashem, this is an unconditional love, something we've never understood before. There is absolutely nothing that you could do in the eyes of Hashem that would make him not love you. And to be able to say that with a straight face, to feel that, to know that, like to get, it's like, it's almost like, you want that pipeline to be straight, like you said, in alignment, or else the you know the the, the voice is off. It's it's like it, the 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 sound doesn't travel properly. Like it's it's like a guitar that's not tuned properly. It's like you hear it and like mm, something's a little off, and the whole melody changes. Mm. So how do we fine tune? So great question. I would say there's the quick fix, easy way, and then there's like the more inevitable. Elaborated. Inevitable, the easy way always results in a harder way. So just do, just like, you know what? Let's, let's just roll up our sleeves because we're going to do work in this life. Like we didn't come down here. We didn't agree to just like coast through life. Right. And I think that was something I, I really learned. Um, I think it was something I, I, I was previewed to when we met, but it, it wasn't something I think I really ingrained in my being until honestly, like when COVID hit that I realized this is like a modality, like kind of get with it, learn this flow, right? Like learn this. It almost kind of reminds me of like a yoga flow. Like every time you kind of get up, you know, from child's pose and you're going into a new entire flow, you kind of, you know, you know, the movements, you know, the movements, but you're, you're going to get back to that child's pose at some point for anyone who's a yoga, you know, practicing person listening or anyone who can visualize it. It's like, but how did it raise how gracefully are we going through the transitions that are more challenging? 
And that's key, right? How are we holding, you know, I, I, I did, um, an energy session with a client a while back and they were in a lot of physical pain, a lot Mm -hmm. of chronic physical pain. And so, you know, I was asking her, where are you feeling the pain right now? And she said like right here, like by her collarbone. And Mm -hmm. so I pressed in on her collarbone, you know, not, not too much where it caused more pain, but just enough where it like activated the pain a little bit more. And as I was doing that, her whole face went like scrunched, like she scrunched her whole face, her hands, everything. So while I'm pushing in on the pain, I asked her, I said, can you release your forehead? Can you release your jaw? Can you release your face? Can you, yeah, like in that discomfort, can you ease up a bit? Because what we resist persists. And what was, was she doing when I pressed on that pain point? She was resisting it. The same goes for labor. You know, when I gave birth to my kids, it was like, wow, I saw night and day difference in real time as I was like going through the, the, the surges, the contractions. I realized the difference between what happens when I trust and let go and let God birth my baby versus me trying to be in the driver's seat, me trying to control, me constricting, contracting, resisting, right? So how do we get back into that alignment? That was your original question, okay? Okay. So there is an easy way and there's a more elaborate way. Now, the easy way is something that I recommend people do on a day-to-day basis, moment by moment when they need it, which is tap into an attitude of gratitude, okay? Because oftentimes when we're in pain, it's because we're experiencing what I experienced on my yoga mat this morning, which is lack. What's wrong with me? Versus Thank you, by the way, for opening up and being vulnerable about that. Thank you for creating the safety and the comfortability for me to do that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and so, so when we, when we're in that state of gratitude and it's a simple shift, it's a simple shift, not stopping to ask ourselves what's wrong, but starting to ask ourselves what's right. Because what we appreciate, appreciates. You liked that. Stopping to ask ourselves what's wrong and starting to ask ourselves what's right. right? What we appreciate, appreciates. And that's a principle of manifestation. Our vibration precedes manifestation, meaning our vibrational frequency, what we are feeling in any given moment puts a vibration out into the world. And that starts to have a ripple effect. And it brings back to us what we're putting out because life is just a mirror. It's just a reflection. The Baal Shem Tov teaches that everything we see is there for a reason to help reflect back to us what we're meant to look at in ourselves. Mm. Okay. So, so the easy, easy way is to shift from lack to gratitude. Now, the longer, more uh, elaborate way of doing this healing work to get into alignment is kind of like what what you and I did when we first met, right? We went back into it. We did some regression work to Mm -hmm. unpack your stories from childhood because why the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves become our reality. What's that quote? You know exactly the quote I'm thinking of. Like, it's like, I am what I think you think. I'm not. Okay. 
I love that you're bringing this up because I was just in a meditation circle, an eight hour meditation circle on Monday and everyone started with an intention. And my intention was like radical authenticity. (sighs) Yeah. Big one. And I started with that quote, which is I'm not who I think I am. I'm not who you think I am. I'm who I think you think I am. I know. Sit with that for a second, guys, because it's... <laughs> I'll say it again because I know every people listening, they're like, can she say that again? Okay. <laughs> I'm not who I think I am. I'm not who you think I am. I'm who I think you think I am. Meaning we base our perception of self on what we think other people think of us. And we are in a constant state of assessment, right? All of us have a self-assessing mechanism in our mind that is constantly oscillating back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Did I say the right thing? Did I say the wrong thing? Are they judging me? Do they like me? Are they approving of me? Are they not? Constantly. And it puts us into high alert, which automatically when a person is in high alert, it can cause anxiety and it can cause us to constrict tension, stress, as we're talking right now, do it. But like, so where, where does this mechanism, this human mechanism of basing our stories on other people's stories about us come from? Yeah. It comes from our childhood, right? You know, my Tommy story. When I was eight yes. years old, I had a crush on a boy named Tommy and I was convinced he liked me back, although neither of us ever spoke about it. He'd look at me in the hallway and like, I'd be like, ah, he's looking at me because he likes me. And anyways, one day during recess, I see him approaching me and I'm convinced that he's going to come and tap me on my shoulder and say, Ayelet, I like you too. Right. So he approaches me. He does. He taps me on my shoulder and he like looks me in the eyes and he says, Ayelet, I don't like you not even a little bit, get that through your thick head. Ooh, thick head. <laughs> I do have a thick head. I'm like, thick head, okay. Fine. <laughs> Fine. So, so what do you think the stories I told myself about myself were in that moment? Oh, I'm, I'm the worst. I'm not good enough. Like, you, like, oh. Like, I'm I mean, not that's pretty, that's- I'm not worthy. And then all of a sudden, what got bred from that new belief was a lot of comparison. All of a sudden, I started seeing other girls in my school as competition, mm-hmm. as comparison. They're better than me. I'm not as good as. I'll never be as good as. She's more popular. She's more pretty. She's got better clothes. And it just created this ripple effect in throughout my childhood of mm-hmm. like me putting up all of these walls as a result of this belief that is based on a false premise. Tommy. Exactly. It meaning just because Tommy didn't like me, does that mean I'm not lovable? Mm -hmm. No, but it gets so ingrained in us to the point where it becomes like our identity and it becomes how we express ourselves in the world publicly. Yeah. And it creates this whole ripple effect that blocks in adulthood manifestation from occurring because where your thoughts go, energy flows. And we're not even aware, most of us, of the types of thoughts we're thinking. So that's step one. Become aware. 
what is going on between these four walls around your brain? Like, you know, like what is going on? The average person thinks up to 80,000 thoughts per day. Okay, that breaks down to approximately 47 thoughts per minute, which is just about one thought per second. Okay, that's a whole lot of thinking going on. But really where it gets interesting is that research research shows that 80% of those thoughts that we think on a daily basis for the average human being tend to be negative. Oh, guys, guys, we have so much potential to really shift the narrative when you, when you really think about it. And I think, I think from that research, I think you taught me this, the, the fish tank, um, practice, right. Mm -hmm. With the bubbles at the top Mm -hmm. guys, this, this, this changed my life. This changed my life. Yeah. So the, the fish tank exercise, so the, the premise goes like this. So it's a process, it's a mindfulness practice that simply allows us to become well acquainted with our own thoughts. And it goes like, it's called unclutching. Mm -hmm. So the idea is if you visualize a fish tank right now, visualize a fish tank with lots of fishies in it and there's a bunch of bubbles, okay? The fish are blowing bubbles and there's like hundreds of bubbles in the fish tank. From our perspective, looking at the tank, these bubbles can often look like big clusters, like one big cluster of bubbles. Each bubble represents a thought, let's say. Now, if you focus on the space, but you'll if you really zoom in on your thoughts, you'll realize that there's actually a space between each bubble. That space between each bubble is what like seekers who travel to the east or our sages who spent hours in meditation before going into prayer. Mm-hmm. Right? That's the space that we are trying to access just a little bit more, right? Because that's the space of nirvana, enlightenment, ecstasy, bliss, surrender, okay? And when we can realize that we are not our thinking, but there is a thinker who is thinking the stories to begin with, and we ask ourselves, who is thinking the story to begin with? Me, I'm not good enough because Tommy didn't like me. There's a thinker thinking that story. And so if I get really quiet and I close my eyes and I just watch my thoughts and I write them down one by one, like that's step one in the unclutching process. Yeah. Very uncomfortable, by the way, to like write down your thoughts. Like when you, you, it's, it's, it's not that I'm saying it's comfortable to think them, but we, we allow ourselves to think them without like a passing thought, so to speak. And then when you have that moment to write them down, I'm like, whoa, like I'm really mean to myself. Like I remember having that kind of moment of like, I don't like the way that I'm communicating with myself. This is, this is, if someone spoke to my best friend like this, like I'd get, I'd get up in their face. You know what I mean? Like it was, Mm -hmm. it was. And that's a really good point because if, if we actually are honest with ourselves, we'll see that the things we say to other people is so different than the things we say to ourselves. We treat our own minds like a garbage can compared to how like politically correct and polite we are to everyone around us. Usually. So, so the idea is step one, close your eyes. Every thought that comes up one by one by one, write it down. So you open your eyes, write it down. Then you close your eyes, wait for the next thought, set a timer, do this for five minutes. Step two, put away the paper and pen and simply just sit with your eyes closed for another three to five minutes. 
just watching the movie of your mind. So imagining like there's a projector screen coming out of your forehead and sit back, relax, watch the show without trying to stop anything, being present with what is, right? Going back to like how we started this conversation, being, you'd be surprised what information your body is sending you that it wants you to listen to, it wants you to hear. And then the third step is the unclutching process, where now you're sitting with your eyes closed. Again, you're watching the movie of your mind, but this time with every thought that comes up, you simply unclutch from the bubble, meaning pop the bubble, wait for the next thought, pop the bubble, and you'll start to see the more you do this, the more not only are you doing a complete rewiring, and it gets stronger and stronger with every sit, with with every sit, with every practice, but you start to expand the amount of space that exists between each thought. And so what happens as a result, we can calm our anxiety. We can relax pathways, create new neural pathways, and we can even replace because we're more aware of the thinking. We can replace those lower vibrational thoughts with better feeling thoughts. Mm. Mm. I feel, I feel at ease just hearing that. Like, I want to do now an unclutching exercise, particularly centered with my beliefs with dating, because I think mm. especially surrounding dating and, you know, if I'm being quite frank with this podcast, I, I, I don't want to say I'm putting on a brave face when I'm having these conversations. I don't, I don't want to say that at all. I feel like I am pretty honest um, with this experience and I definitely work very, very hard to have that right mindset as I don't want to say right, but the, the more beneficial mindset, right? Because it's not about right or wrong. We're not shaming the feelings that are valid that come up from this experience, but rather I'm curious what those natural, um, voice patterns that I have with myself surrounding dating are. And I'm curious anyone who's listening, if that resonates and if that's something to follow up, I'm not saying to do homework, but that might be something to look into because I don't think I'm aware of the thoughts I have about myself or what I'm vibrationally putting out there in terms mm. of um, my dating right now, right? Because that's constantly changing, which is amazing. Like the energy I was yesterday is different than the energy I am today. And I think it's also maybe even an amazing practice to do after a date. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, mm. it's, I mean, you don't want to get too cerebral in your head, but I feel like this is such, such a hidden gem of a tool. I'm really happy we just brought that yeah. up. Well, I mean, there's something powerful just in affirmations themselves. Like what are affirmations? They're better feeling thoughts. I am powerful. I am worthy. I am a successful, um, whatever, entrepreneur, mom, wife, whatever, Okay. And so like even going, you're, that's a powerful practice that you just expressed, which is like before you walk into a date, before yeah. you see that person face to face, there's power in the pause, pause, collect yourself, feel into your body and repeat affirmations to help you shift from a place of fear and security into a place of empowerment. And I want to say also like from experience. Like I fake it till I make it. Like I, sometimes I won't feel necessarily the way that I want those affirmations to make me feel when I'm walking out the door, 
But there's something that happens subconsciously that when I end up showing up in front of that date, I am that confident woman. I am that like, it, it, it manif- literally it manifests. And, and I don't want to say fake it till you make it, but again, it's the narrative you're telling yourself, right? So that becomes your reality, right? The stories we tell ourselves are our reality. Let's go back to Tommy. And so I remember like when, when you first introduced affirmations to me, I was like, oh, this is like woo-woo crunchy. Like I, like I couldn't, I would, I would start laughing. Like you would have me repeat affirmations. I would laugh people. Like I couldn't say these statements because it a, was hard to believe and B, like I had my own resistance to maybe owning myself or, or saying certain things. Like it was, it, you know, it feels it feels silly at times. Well, can I just add something here? I believe that the resistance comes as a result of the unconscious, not believing the conscious, meaning mm. consciously, more, consciously, you might be looking in the mirror saying, I am worthy. I am worthy. I am worthy. I am worthy. But your unconscious mind is like, girlfriends, you've been living from a state of feeling unworthy for 20 something years. What makes me think you're subconscious? What makes yeah. me think that I should believe your conscious mind, right? And so it goes back into that old programming, which is why repeating affirmations alongside doing inner work is a two-part dance. And when I say inner work, okay, so can we get real for a second? Can we get vulnerable? I'm going to ask you some questions. Yeah, please go. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So so you brought up your dating process now, right? And you said you have some stories around it, some beliefs about yourself. Can I ask you, like, what is what might be one of the biggest stories you're telling yourself about yourself in regards to dating right now? I, well, thank you for asking. Because again, I don't think we, I think we're like on a defense. I mean, I know I'm on a defensive mode in some cases with dating. So I don't want to ask these questions because I don't want to go there. I just don't want to like, brain don't go there right now, right? Um, cause it's the fight or flight mode a little bit sometimes where you just kind of have to push through. Um, sure. but I'm going to give myself to share. No, no, no. You I want to give myself permission to that because there's, there's one narrative that I was exploring where I noticed that like, I naturally friend zone myself and it was something that a mentor of mine kind of noticed. And she was like, why are you assuming that like the really great guy over there isn't going to be interested in you. Like when I go to a meal and I I see someone and I might think like I'm interested, I'm like, no, they're like, I'll write off a reason in my mind why they wouldn't be interested in me. So then I'll be like, oh my gosh. So like, what are you looking for? I totally want to set you up. And I'm like, that, that's Mm. this old pattern that I had that like, I used to feel super unworthy and the way that I wanted, I always had guy friends before I, I became more observant. And before I went to Israel, went to seminary, that was like the first real moment of sisterhood and like really bonding with females without, you know, like being catty over like this guy likes you, but, but, but like, it was just an authentic experience. So I was a girl's guy. And what I realized that I was doing my whole life was naturally friend zoning myself. So they wouldn't reject me, but therefore they would end up rejecting me because I was putting myself as the friend, as the mom, as the sister, whatever. And Uh I noticed that I subconsciously was doing that am doing that for a large part sometimes a lot in my dating and I have Mm. to like I have to have a moment where I pause and so when I am like you know at a mixed meal or like just interacting with single guys like I have I I tell myself in my mind I'm like I could be your wife I'm worthy I'm amazing you'd be lucky if I'm your wife right 
Right. Can I now, can we just shine some light on how important that part of you that friend zones you, how important her role is, right? Because it's just a part of you because there's another part of you that wants to be wife, right? But that part of you that wants to keep you safe, yeah. that wants to prevent potential rejection, she's she's protecting you. So she's playing an important role, right? There's no bad parts. So yeah. she's doing thank something. Her. Thank her because she, like we acknowledge what she's doing, but we can also tell her this isn't serving us anymore. Like we don't need to protect mm-hmm ourselves from that anymore. Mm-hmm. Maybe arguably ever we had to, but you know what? It served she served a purpose and I want to thank her. I don't want to shame her. And I think that was something for so long. I that was the first thing I went to is like I'm going to criticize her. I'm going to shame her. I'm going to be I'm going to bully her and then you realize I'm bullying my teenage self. Right. Like, I want that's an important point. That's a really important point cuz the part of us that has that critical voice, that critical part, which we all have, right? Yeah. The critical part will come in and tell me while I'm on my yoga mat and I'm in pain because I'm not a certain way, that critical voice will come in and be like, Ayala, you've done so much in our work. Really? We're back here again? We're back here again? You're back in that pain story again? You're, you're, you're What happens all your, you know? And mm-hmm. so all of a sudden it's a conversation between my critic and the shame, you know, yeah. there's this, there's this part of me that I'm, I'm, I'm ashamed of. I'm ashamed that I'm in that moment feeling that pain. And yeah. so instead of embracing the pain, we shame the pain and we take that pain and we throw that shame. We throw that I'm not worthy part right into exile. Okay. And then, and, but mm-hmm. when we start doing the work of bringing our shamed parts out of the basement, out of exile. They're they're banging on that door. They're banging on the basement door. I mean, this is Mamash Pesach. This is the story of Pesach, right? How do we redeem our hurt parts from exile? Not by Mm -hmm. criticizing them, not by being hard on us that we're feeling that in the first place, right? When we walk into a room, a Shabbat table, and there's all these young guys and girls, and all of a sudden, like, we're feeling insecure, And we're ashamed of ourselves because we're feeling insecure. But let me ask you, if you were babysitting, you know, a, a, let's say like a five-year-old family member and she came home from school one day, can you envision like a young family member? I have her. I know exactly who I'm thinking about. My cutie patootie. Yeah. Okay. What's her name? Her name's Leah. Leah. Okay. So imagine Leah. She's seven, but um, it's okay. Seven-year-old. Okay. So imagine seven-year-old Leah comes home from school one day and she's like, Hannah, I'm sad because this boy made fun of me and teased me and bullied me and said that I wasn't pretty. That's happened before you. How would you speak to her? Oh, I mean, first I would get like on, I would get on her level. I could get her to her eyesight, which I think is like a you know, it, it sounds, it sounds little, but like, you want to get to where the person, you want to get to where you are, speak to where, speak into your listening. Right. Like, so I would, I would first be like, Leah, I love you so much. Like, I just like, that's really hard to hear. Like right. that is really hard so, to hear. Like you want to right hear what you just did. I, and then I want you to continue, but I just want to point out like the skill in what you just did, which was you validated first mm-hmm. and foremost. Yeah. You you met the person where she was at. You validated her experience. You didn't shame her for feeling ashamed. You didn't yeah. try to stop her process either. You didn't come in and say, oh, don't worry. No, you are pretty. You'll get a guy. You'll be fine. Like you didn't do that. 
you validated her, which is always like a immaculate first step. Okay. Then what would you so say? Important. I would give her a hug and I would say, Leita, like, like you are amazing. You're a giver. You're such an amazing older sister. There's literally not one person on the street that doesn't get a hello. How are you from you? Like, how good does it feel when you do those things? And I know how good she feels when she's like being a Tadegas because she's literally the biggest Tadegas. And I would say you are, your actions make you beautiful. You are beautiful, but who you are makes you beautiful. And no one can change mm. that. It's, it mm. is. Beautiful. It's what it is. No one now, can change that. I love that. I love that. Now, let me ask you, if you walked into a room, a Shabbat meal, and there was a bunch of single guys and a bunch of single girls, and you left that meal feeling like nobody paid attention to you, what would you tell yourself as an adult? I'd be or like, what do you think people usually, maybe not you, but what do you think people tell themselves on a regular basis? No, I mean, like, I'm not good enough. Like, there's so much, like, there's, uh, there's people more interesting than me. Like, clearly, like, there's, like, you start going into that comparative mindset, which is just so dangerous, especially with other women. Like, we're not meant to bring each other down. We're bringing the Gaula ladies. Like, we need to be each other's best advocates. Another strong, confident woman does not take away from your strength or confidence. And I had this experience with one of my closest friends now. I saw her as like, she was my mirror. Like I was so intimidated by her confidence, her beauty, her ease with talking with people that I was a, a, I was not nice to her. Let's say that. And then I recognized it and I took her out for coffee. I apologize. I told her, I was like, I, I like you brought out these emotions in me and I saw things in you that I feel that I'm lacking. But when I took a step back, I realized I exude those things. So it's a val it's a shared value that I see in her. Okay. And it changed up. I mean, now she's one of my closest friends, but um, I, I, think you able to I love that you were able to have that conscious conversation with her. And like, I even just want to take that one step forward mm-hmm. and apply that to all of our lives and our listeners, our listeners lives, yeah. because I've been on both sides of that equation. I've been that person who walks into a room with a friend of mine who's radiant and beautiful and confident and has the gift of gab and can just like captivate everyone in the room. And like, as a result, I shrink, I shrivel, I feel small. I feel like I'm going to disappear. Right. And like, I've also been that person who people have told me to my face. I yell it when I first met you. I was intimidated by you. I didn't like you. You were too confident. You walked into a room and just people gravitated towards you and it made me just not like you. So I've been both of those players. So hard to hear, by the way. That's like a lot to make space for. Like how you you interpret that is very key. So that's the thing. It used to be hard to hear years ago. Now, I mean, I'm in the process of really like owning my authenticity, which brings me to the next point. It's like whether we're in the position of feeling insecure or whether we feel like we're taking up too much space and we're being too big of a personality, right? It's like, who is the person telling the story? You. And their definition of me, right? Going back to, I'm not who I think I am. I'm not who you think I am. I'm who I think you think I am. We are constantly assessing who we should be 
based on other people's definitions of us. But really, who are you really? Isn't that the work? <laughs> oh, but it's, it's the best work. It's like when you get clear on it, and I, I can say now I'm very clear on who I am, which I could, I, I, I mean, I think I was clear to who I was six years ago. It was like the first time I was asking the right questions and I was, I was being, I was starting to be real or what I thought was real. But, um, you know, honestly, I felt like a lot, I mean, I think it, it's with any journey when you're really changing yourself, you kind of go into this pendulum, right? Like sometimes you have to go to one extreme to then change that like media, that quality in you to then find the balance. And I think now I'm embracing the balance state where like the, the real Hannah's emerging. And before it was kind of like, it, it was always real, but it was like the authentic version of myself I wanted you to see. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't necessarily authentic. It was kind of yeah. curious. And I also like welcome us all to accept that this discovery is a lifelong journey. Oh. It, it doesn't, it doesn't begin or, I mean, it, it does begin it, but it never ends. Um, and I, I want to even argue that it, like it begins even before you're conscious of it. Right. Like it's, For sure. it's, For sure. it's so much more. For sure. So, you know, when I got to that point, you know, talking, I love how like we just got into like therapy talk. <laughs> Literally like Ayala's husband was just like, this is going to be the most natural like podcast ever. And like, I, I I had like a premonition and I had an idea of where we were going to go with this conversation, but classic you and I and like Hashem, it went, it went different. And I'm so happy about it. If anything, this is the one of many future conversations, but classic, classic. This yeah. is like our bread and butter. Like, what can we do? Yeah. 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 But I will say when it came time for me to co-create or manifest my husband, it came from a place of really starting to do the work of redefining myself Mm. and starting to become more authentic and also becoming, you know, from a manifestation perspective, I got really clear about what it is that I desired. What was my intention? You know, our sages teach that there's bracha in kavana. There is blessing in intention. When we are clear about what we want and we're relatively specific. I say relatively because there's a fine line where people become too specific and then they sabotage because all of a sudden then nobody's good enough for them or no one fits into their criteria. So, you know, to a certain degree specific, having our non-negotiables. And then I, I remember being at a table with you and a few other girlfriends. I hadn't known my husband at the time and I made a declaration out loud. I said, dear God, my intention is to be married by May of this year or something better. And I declared at that moment that I would be your flower girl because I never got to be a flower girl as a child. And friends, um, I, I can share a picture. I, I literally walked down Ayala's aisle with a flower <laughs> crown and putting petals down. I just I have I, pictures I, of it. Maybe the picture should be the cover of this podcast. No, I'm just honestly, kidding. <laughs> honestly, it was a beautiful, it was, it's a radiant photo. I'm so down. I love yeah. that. Okay. Amazing. <laughs> so, so my declaration, and it's important that the wording of that intention is important because people always ask, how do I set an intention, you know, and, and without like getting disappointed if my intention does not manifest. Yeah. And that's why I always word it like, God, if it is your will or something better. Exactly. Right. So my intention is to be married 
by May of this year, if it is your will or something better. And thank God I was in alignment with God's will for me. And so the encoding process began and thank God it didn't take me a year. It, it, I managed, I did 21 days of a certain visualization practice that I teach. And I met him after those 21 days and we were married on May 29th of that year. Um, and so like that, I'm sharing that as proof that manifestation is real. And also, look, does it happen that way every time for me when I make an intention? No, but I do see in hindsight when I set an intention and I phrase it like that, even if it doesn't happen by that date, I'm no longer disappointed because I've done this enough times to see how God's hand is in everything. And if I'm not getting what I want by a date, it's like rejection is protection. Something better for me is around the corner. Maybe it means I have more inner work to do. Maybe it means that God wants me to develop a certain skill before I meet my husband, because that husband will only come into my life when I'm vibrating at that certain frequency. And it's worth the wait. It's worth the wait. I mean, I mean, it's worth, I'm saying it also for me, it's worth the wait. It's worth the wait. Mm -hmm. I mean, thank you. First and foremost, I feel like I can say thank you on behalf of anyone who's listening because I'm going to go listen to this again. Um, I'm going to listen to it like, (laughs) but thank you. I don't even know what else to say. Like I have to sit with it, you know, but which kind of leads me because again, we go through life and we're, we're just like kind of an autopilot, um, and I invite you, I do this practice with all my guests at the end of our conversation where I invite you to sit with something that um, you're experiencing, you're, you're feeling, and you kind of did that. You, sh- you, you began with that, which I'm so grateful for. And I just invite you, whether it's something pertaining um, to the podcast, something that came up, something new, um, I, I invite you to sit with something. So um, what are you sitting with, Ayelet? What else are you sitting with? <laughs> What else? And I feel like I, I, I express right? so much of what I'm sitting with right now. But you know, what do you want to impart? Um, you know, a last, a last, a last wish, or I don't know. Yeah, just well, I, I guess. Um, I guess something that's been really um, a profound tool in my life recently. Um, that's taken me to like depths that I've never accessed before, um, has been like somatic experiencing work. Um, and I was going to leave you, is it what? Does that include like, so somatic experiencing, somatic experiencing is where we kind of like bypass the thinking brain. Like traditional therapy is talk therapy. That's like traditional, right? There's many forms of traditional therapy, somatic work, it's almost like, yes, there's talking involved, but you try to like almost bypass the cognitive brain and you go straight into the emotional body, what you're feeling, where it's stored in the body, what information is there, what it's trying to tell you. Um, And that can really release trauma that's stuck in the body. Because we said the body keeps the score and you can tell in a way in how much a person is embodied, how a person carries him or herself, how they walk in the world. Are they hunched over? Are they standing tall, shoulders relaxed with a sense of ease and grace? Are they scrunching their forehead or are they relaxed? Do they talk at a million miles per hour or do they understand the power of the pause? Right. And so 
that it's like when we are embodied and we tap into the body, we become more conscious of our self, our being and how we're expressing ourselves in the world. And so I was going to leave with like a manifestation tip, but because this, our next session, our next talk will be on manifestation specifically. Yeah. This, this kind of went in a more therapeutic direction. The foundation in order to manifest. I think there's, there's a pre kind of preparation. For sure. For sure. I'm happy we have this conversation. So I'd say, you know, why I'll leave you with this. You got to feel it to heal it. You got to feel it to heal it. Don't shy away from the big, scary, painful, challenging emotions, right? Embrace them. Allow them to be the same way you wouldn't speak to a child who's emotionally hurting in an aggressive way, hopefully, right? Don't speak to your own parts, the part of you that's feeling insecure or jealous or fear, you know, walking into a date or to a meal, the same way you wouldn't speak to a child that way, don't speak to your parts that way. You know, say, I see you, you're hurting, you're afraid, you're feeling nervous, you're feeling scared. All right, I got you, we're in this together. You know, like even something as minor as that creates a huge vibrational shift. Thank we you. all just want to be validated at the end of the day. Seeing her. And more importantly, Hashem wants that. Hashem wants that for us. 100%. Thank you so much again, Ayelet, on behalf of all of us. Thank you for sitting with Snit. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. It's been fun. So fun. <laughs>